everybody. Good morning. Hey, hey guys. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 6, so if you want to hop over there, turn over there. Um, no, go back real, go back one. That way they don't think I have it, which means they're going to open their Bible. So go to Luke 6. We may, I may not have the verse up, so you might need to turn there. Uh, you know, you just never want to risk something like that. So uh, I need to turn there as well. Here we go. Luke chapter 6. Look at this wobble. That's sweet. A little, a little activity. Uh, yes, it's a big weekend for me. Uh, uh, not only was it the um, anniversary of my birth yesterday, but it's the anniversary of my marriage today. So, hey, it's pretty cool. Uh, not quite yet. I think we were, when were we wedded? Like 3 p.m.-ish? 5? So, like, we're, our anniversary is in, like, five hours. But anyway, the actual moment. But um, anyway, yes, it's the, the, the big five. The big 5.0. So, Six. Okay, I'm there. Six, verse uh, 27. So this morning is um, our campus-led service, as you've noticed, by all the uh, young, vibrant, spirit-filled people that have been coming up here to help us lead us in service. So thanks to those who have already shared. I'm splitting the sermon this morning with um, Joshua Himanaka. He's right here in the front row. Um, so uh, he told me all of his good points, and I'm going to try not to take them. I'm going to try to leave them. It's hard. You know, you get to hear a good point, you just want to take it. But I'm going to leave it for you to really hit it, because uh, Josh has got a lot of good stuff. And man, Josh has really grown as a preacher. As a, he's really grown as a, as, a, as a man of God. So I'm really proud of you, Josh. Uh, I know this is uh, your, your fourth year, last year. So uh, but I'm not going to talk about that um, right now. Um, talk about it later. It's exciting. Luke 6, we'll keep it uh, exciting here. So. Luke chapter 6, we're continuing. We just finished uh, the Beatitudes, and we're going to continue on with Jesus. Jesus has all of the people here um, in the palm of his hand, right? He's got a wide swath of different kinds of people from different backgrounds, and he's going to bring, uh, he's going to bring, continuing to bring the heat here in, in Luke 6, verse 27. Jesus says, but to you who are listening, I say, thanks, Aaron, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Some versions say, pray for those who abuse you. Verse 29, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Uh, I'm going to stop there. Josh is going to read the rest of the passage in just a moment. Um, But the title of our sermon, we can go next slide. The title of our sermon this morning is Nonsensical Love. Nonsensical. It does not make any sense. You know, the passage I just read is just as radical now as it would have been back then. Maybe even more radical now. Maybe even more radical now than it would have been back then. No, this is, as radical as this is, though, this is not necessarily new. Um, this idea of the golden rule, you've probably heard of the golden rule, right? Treat others as you would have them treat you. And um, this is not something that Jesus invents, okay? This is something that has been around for hundreds of years, so in a way, Jesus is saying something very familiar. But in another way, he's actually adding something new, which is what we'll talk about in just a moment. But 
This is something that people actually often taught even way 2,500 years ago. And the reason they taught it was that if you have someone who hates you, you know, uh, you can treat them with hate or you can treat them with love. And if you treat them with love, then they might stop their hate and they might be loving, right? It reminds me of the famous proverb, when tempted to fight fire with fire, I remember that the fire department generally uses water. Um, And I always like that one. Um, uh, When tempted to fight fire with fire, I remember the fire department generally uses water. You know, it's something that Mahatma Gandhi, right, loved. It's like, okay, if we can actually be not be violent, it'll actually be better. The people that our enemies will actually come around quicker if we're not violent. Uh, Dr. King, same kind of uh, a nonviolent um, strategy. And so in a way, it's something that's new, but it's not so new is that that's that was always the hope is if you can treat people, your enemies with love, then maybe they'll maybe they'll come. Maybe they'll come around. But this is different. This is actually very different. Uh, Jesus does something here that's unusual. And in the Greco-Roman world, everything was based on uh, relationships. If you could, everything was an obligation. I was actually getting some sermon prep help from James Sabula uh, recently, and James gave me some good points. Um, but, he, but he said, he said uh, I said, James, how's school? And he goes, you know, the teachers keep thinking that the assignments are going to be fun. <laughs> but as long as anything is mandatory, it's not fun. You know, he gets, James, you know, James goes deep on you like that. You got to be ready. And so, but I thought that's a, that's a really good point. You know, when things are mandatory, they are less fun, aren't they? No matter how fun it may be, if you have to do it, it's not as fun. And, I, and here, there was, in the Greco-Roman world, relationships were often an obligation. Because if you didn't treat someone well, then they would just treat you back with evil and your life could be ruined, especially if you didn't have much money or prestige or honor or whatever. So you had to pretty much be nice to the right people so that they might be nice to you. You know how it is, right? You've been in high school, right? You have to, you have to kind of bend in that. In order to sit at that table, you got to be nice. You got to be cool. You got to have something to offer. It's this whole like web of relationships. But Jesus does something incredible. He says, hey, listen, do to others as you would have them do to you. But don't do it because they might change their behavior. Don't actually consider whether they'll change their behavior or not. That actually doesn't really matter. It's like, wait, what? Because before it's like, it's like uh, denying yourself, but not really. Because it's like, if I can love my enemy, then they'll be nice to me one day. It's still kind of about me, right? Like, they'll be good to me eventually if I'm nice to my enemy. Still, I still have something in it for me. But Jesus goes, no, actually, don't even consider how they react. Just love your enemies. And it's not, we, thought we hear the word love and we're robbed in, in the English language because, you know, the Greeks have five words for love. The English have one. And if you've met the English, it makes sense, I think, because the English, the English are, are very stoic people, right? They're very stoic. They, 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 and I can say that because I'm ethnically Danish. So, it, um, no, I, I can't really say it. But the, the English have one word for love. It really robs us, right? Because I could say I love my wife and I could say I love Caleb. And it's the same sentence with the same verb. But you'd go, those are two very different kinds of love, right? They're very different, right? One is friendship, uh, uh, you know, one is, one is obviously romantic. And when Jesus says, love, love your enemies, pray for those who curse you. Oh, my goodness. 
do good to those who hate you. Now, it's not just think good thoughts about those who hate you. It's do good. Do practical, good actions. Serve those who hate you. That's hard. It's tough. Why? Because they hate me. (laughs) They're going to make it difficult, right? People that hate us, the people that we've tried to forgive before, the people that we've tried to love before, the people that malign us, they put us down, they make fun of us, they they hurt us, they're passive-aggressive, they're downright mean to us, or they're withholding, or they're manipulative, or people in our lives that take advantage of us. Maybe it's family, maybe it's friends, maybe it's, I don't know who it is, but this has become a year of 2020 where maybe you didn't think you had enemies going into this year. You're like, I don't have any enemies. I'm actually quite a likable person. And then maybe this year you're kind of like, wow, there's a lot of enemies out there. Whether they're real or fabricated is another point, you know, whether they're kind of made up or not. But there's a lot of enemies out there. And there's a lot of fighting fire with fire. There's a lot of fighting fire with fire. Because the reality is, is that when you love, when you love because it might come back your way, at some point the love stops. As long as love is about what might come back to you, at some point you've had enough. And at some point... You turn those cameras inward, you lock the doors, you barricade the entrance, and you start to pull back. And you start to, I'm going to take care of myself. And this is a hard, it's a hard thing. I know it. When I preach about love and, and, and receiving love and grace and self-care and rest and take care of yourself, I hear a lot more amens, right? I mean, that's it's a more popular message now. Not a, not a bad message, it's a more popular message. But when I preach about denying self, it gets quiet. Yeah. Gotta deny yourself! Oh. All right, go on, continue to say something else. Can move on, right? Like, deny your. This is the crux of Jesus' message. Right. This is the. He has them. He has them right where he wants them, and he doesn't say, you know what you gotta do? Have a really good Sabbath. He doesn't say that, right? Sabbath is wonderful. He says, you know what we gotta do? We're going to be a new community. We're going to be a new people. And you know how they're going to recognize us? Not by our Jewish ethnicity, right? Not by our academics, not by our money, not even by our superior evangelistic strategy. No, that's not how they will recognize us. They will recognize us by how we treat our enemies. And that's a way to recognize somebody. Because it's hard. A whole community of people will be recognized by how they treat others. How are we going to do it? I don't know about you, but that sounds exhausting. I've tried it before. I've tried to love people who uh, talk about me behind my back and, and, and make fun of me and curse me to my face, cuss me out to my face and physically push me, hurt me. I've tried to love people who um, just don't, I don't think ever will really understand how I feel. And how they, they are not ever kind of going to be what I need. And it's been hard because I remember I would call this brother out in Hampton Roads uh, to get advice. And, and I would say, I just don't get it. I'm tired of being the bigger man. I can't be the bigger man anymore. I want to be the little man once. <laughs> I want to I just say what I want. And, do, and I want to sneak in that little comment and be sarcastic. And I want to... Yeah, be, you know, smirk, not smirky, snork, snork, snarky. I want to be snarky. Thank you, Josh. 
I want to just be that, you know, because the reality was is I wasn't loving the way that Jesus was calling me to love. I was loving, kind of always thinking, if I love her, if I love him, then, then eventually things will start going well. The church will grow, and I'll be a good minister, and we'll be successful, and they'll love me, and they'll say, Drew, I shouldn't have treated you that way, and golly, I, really, I sure was wrong. That'll all happen, and it'll be wonderful, and, and uh, it'll come back my way. But when that didn't happen, week after week after week, I went, you know what? I'm done. The reality was is I was not really loving the way that Jesus was calling me to love. And Jesus is actually saying something familiar. So they go, oh, we've heard this before. But I think he goes, no, 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 hear me out. (laughs) Hear me out. Next slide, Aaron. You know, it's a scary time that we live in. And we live in a time when this is a graph that's actually from the CDC uh, about uh, uh, it's U.S. hospital admissions for non-fatal self-harm. And this is for in the purple up top is for uh, teenage girls, 15 to 19 since 2010, uh, you see the numbers. Since 2010, you see up 62%, right? But look at that preteen number. That, that's almost triple. Since 2010, triple. That number was the same for about 50 years. That number was the same for 50 years. And then in 2010, triple. The number of girls aged 10 to 14 are hurting themselves. Next slide, please. Now you see... For actual suicides, same demographic. Teenage girls since 2010, up 70%. Preteen girls, which is the lowest, traditionally the lowest demographic of suicide, yeah. is a preteen girl. Not anymore. Up 151%. And this is actually from a, a documentary that was sent my way, and it, it, it points to social media as, as, as a bit of the reason for this. But that's not necessarily my point. Those social media, I do think lies to us. It tells us that we are giving and receiving love when we're not really giving and receiving love. The human brain is not meant to be judged by two million people every 30 seconds. And so when you upload a status and you're 12 and no one likes it and you're rejected by two million people, when you put something, when you put a picture of yourself and people make fun of it, the human brain, especially the preteen human brain that's not fully formed is not designed to just handle that much judgment, judgment, judgment. And we get lonelier and lonelier and lonelier. And traditionally, the happiest people in the world, <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but I like my experience. I used to teach preteen girls. I used to teach seventh grade. They were incredible. And yeah, sure, you know, it's always like, you know, preteen, middle school is hard in general, but I, I loved, I preferred them to the boys. By gosh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I loved my, my, my seventh grade girls. They were wonderful. They asked me how my day went and got me gifts and the boys were had snot in their face and coming in late and yeah. the boys were a mess but they're developmentally behind i'm getting off track the point is <laughs> the point is is this is horrifying because i think deep down jesus knows this isn't just about hey go go be a good person in love jesus knows that deep down we all need love and the only way to receive love is not to say hey everyone receive love no the only way is to say hey everyone give and then we'll actually, every, if everyone in this room gives love, we will all be loved. We've got to learn how to receive love. We've got to learn how to be able to do that. I know it's not that simple necessarily, but Josh is going to come up and walk us through what exactly, how can we actually love people and not see these numbers in our world where, gosh, people are lonely. People are hurting. People have no purpose. People, it's kids. I mean, 
People, I think, are getting hurt and they're turning inward. They're saying, you know what? I'm just going to take care of myself. And that's a scary path. Self-care is important. Taking a Sabbath is important. But when you give up on the thrust of Jesus' message, which is the greatest commandment, love God with all your heart. Love people with all your heart. This is Jesus' steak and potatoes. And if we don't eat the entree and just skip straight to dessert, I think we're going to miss out on really what the, the thrust is of, of what not only how we can love others, but the deep sense of validation, gratification, and purpose that we all need deep down, which is to be loved. Josh is going to come on up and continue with our sermon here. Good morning, church. It is a wonderful morning for this campus service, and it is wonderful because last night UVA destroyed their enemy Duke uh, in the opening football game. Uh, yes, Wahoo UVA is 1-0. But, um, and yeah, so I'm going to continue talking about how Jesus, uh, really what is going to be able to allow us to love our enemies in this way. Continuing reading in verse 32, it reads, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. And, you know, personally, I think this command to love your enemies is the most challenging teaching in the Bible. Challenging to reason, challenging to practice, and challenging to personalize. Uh, Yet, I think this is the most valuable teaching and highly helpful in understanding this new upside-down kingdom that uh, Jesus is introducing here. But, yeah, if you're anything like me, Uh, you may not automatically view specific people as enemies. I've always tried to, you know, make everyone like me, and even those who didn't love me, I still got along with. Like, my closest image of an enemy in my life is, like, Bowser, uh, stopping Mario from rescuing Princess Peach. Um, but, But I can actually make enemies in my mind out of people who hurt me or annoy me or don't respond quick enough or who are ungrateful or people with no mask within six feet of my radius or we can and we can all do this we can have imaginary arguments with people in our head or hold grudges or we can wait uh, until we see evidence of change in a person before we extend our love or forgiveness Um, for you guys uh, who are people that can you can make enemies out of in your mind And how do you respond when a person continually hurts you? And we're supposed to love these enemies. And like Drew said, you know, the meaning of love is so ambiguous. Uh, Me saying I love Cinnamon Toast Crunch is very different from me saying I love my girlfriend. But uh, this agape here is an intent. It's an internal commitment 
to the betterment of another person. Agape your enemies. Everything we do and say to them should be to better their lives. Think about the person you can antagonize. Are your actions bettering their lives? And this teaching is very counterintuitive. It'd be crazy uh, if Mario acted to better the life of Bowser, who's out to kill him. It's just nonsensical love. So what is the motivation for this? And before I fully explain, I want to share just about how things have been with my family, uh, with my dad. Uh, He's been a fantastic father, and he raised me to love God, and I love my dad. But I can also make an enemy of him. And some background, he's been trying to get a divorce from my mom for three years. He moved out about two years ago, and he's kept in contact and financially supported us a lot. But I feel like he views the rest of my family as an enemy, and now he's in a place where he's trying to move on to a new chapter of his life, and I'm not sure if he wants me to be a part of it. And as a result, I can feel unloved, worthless, etc. And naturally, I can want to avoid that by either detaching myself emotionally to him or by loving to try and change him. But, you know, like Drew already talked about, uh, there's lots of, you know, wrong motivations for why we can love our enemies. It'd be a wrong motive to love our enemies because they may change their behavior. And, you know, I've done that with my dad a lot, loving him so he'll stay in contact or so he'll support my family financially more. But, um... But the root of this is, you know, selfishness. And thus in verse 40, 34, it says, if you expect repayment, what credit is that to me? Right. And, you know, I see this in lots of ways. For campus students, uh, in difficult classes, we can love people that will help us get a good grade. But once the class is over, you know, we're surprised that the love isn't strong enough to keep the relationship. Or uh, we can love other people to get attention from them or to fill ourselves up. Like you were talking about, it's just temporary and selfish. And, but what about, I hear this one a lot. Love your enemies so that you are a better person or so your heart changes. And I've tried this approach as well. And, you know, emotions are tricky. I, I wish that I could just make myself feel a certain way about a person. But emotions don't go as easily. And Jesus doesn't command our emotions. Jesus commands us to do things. And over time, our emotions may follow. You know, start to bless, start to love them, start to pray, do good. And hatred may simmer out. And, you know, in my heart, I tried that with my dad and tried to fake it till I make it. And it did get better. I loved him more with actions and my heart followed. But in the end, that's still kind of coming back to me. I'm hoping I can get a better heart or be a better person. But In in verse 35, it says, but love your enemies, do good to them without expecting to get anything back. And uh, you're hoping, you know, you can get a better heart or something, but we can't expect that. We can't expect our friends or our spouse or our children to change their behavior. We can't expect our lives or emotions to get better, though they may. And these are side effects of, you know, something good God wants, but that shouldn't be our motivation. So what should be? And in verses 35 through 36, it reads, Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. 
Our motivation for loving our enemies must be imitating our Father and seeing his mercy. And to be with Jesus uh, must be a Christian's highest ambition. To please Jesus must be a Christian's highest objective to be in his nonsensical love. But there's even more. Uh, We get to be children of the Most High. And, you know, with Jesus, he doesn't offer a transaction or try to better himself, but he freely extends his mercy, which leads me to the main point, taking obligation out of love. And don't love or do things because someone else is getting because you're getting something back your way. But this is the new character of God's community, loving because God loves. And Jesus was a perfect example of this, even thinking who were Jesus's enemies at this time? You could come up with different answers, but I was thinking the Pharisees, tax collectors, sinners, and all these are people like Simon the Pharisee or the sinful woman that Jesus pulls into his ministry, the ones Jesus agapes. And I'm, Regardless of race or geography, married or not, smart or dumb, fat or skinny, anything, Jesus extends his love without expecting back. But how can Christians be so nice if we never have anything back our way? And we get our reward from God. And this is actually a direct parallel to the Beatitudes in the same chapter. In verse 23, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because... Great is your reward in heaven. And when we love because our Father is merciful, and when we see the mercy extended to us, it's so much more powerful and so much more easy to love our enemies, which leads me to the second point, seeing our mercy. And I want you guys with me to think about a time when you hurt someone. Here's a perspective to keep in mind when an enemy hurts you. You know, we've all made mistakes, We've all done things wrong. We've all let people down. All have made purposeful actions to hurt someone. We've all violated someone's trust. And how do you desire for someone to treat you when you mess up? You know, you hope that someone would give you grace and have that mercy with you. And we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt so easily. But we need to be able to extend that to others and We need to do to others as we would wish to be done to us. And, you know, but for even for God, every evil thing, uh, every action, you know, not just sinned against you, but sinned against God. I want you to understand that our father has been merciful, that Jesus would show incredible mercy. And God has it the worst. God chose to show mercy to not just everyone, but to you and You know, people sin against other sinners, but when we sin against God, we sin against perfection and innocence. But God extends his mercy regardless. And going back to, or even reminds me of the book of Hosea, uh, why would Hosea take a prostitute back for his wife? It makes no sense, but it says later in the book, he wanted to understand how God feels about being married to us. He wanted to see how crazy God's love is that he could also do this. And uh, a scripture illustrating Christ's example of this, Romans 5, uh, Romans 5 verses 6 through 10. It reads, you see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And um, first thing that jumps out to me, how were you God's enemy? And um, I know for me in my life, just I think it's incredible just how much sin I've been in throughout my life and but how this incredible moment at the cross like this reconciliation takes us from being God's enemies to being reconciled and in him and but I think it's also amazing um or interesting it says very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die and this presumes a superiority of a good person over a righteous person and what's the difference between being righteous or good? Why would being good be of more value? And, uh, you know, righteous does that he is obligated to do under the law and concerns himself. Whereas a good person freely gives, acts to better other people without getting back. And just even think for yourself, if, would you be more likely to want to die for uh, I don't know, Sally Righteous, who's never sinned in her life. And, oh, good for you, Sally. Or, or um, I don't know, uh, Brother Goody, who's <laughs> just uh, always giving to people and helping you and supporting you and has helped change your life. And, and thinking how Jesus was the best example of a good person helped me and is always easy. It's, think about that. It's easy to love my dad and uh, one last scripture that I'll leave you guys to think about. Uh, in John 13, verse 35, it says, By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. And even at, in a, this Luke 6 passage, it also, there's lots of repetition of the words, you know, even sinners do this, even sinners do this. And if you don't look any different from the world around you, if you don't act any different, if your attitude is not different from the world around you, you've fallen short of this command. But when we do love our enemies in this way, because Jesus died for us, that is such a powerful uh, love that will be seen and we will be a church that's known for our love. What would it be like for us when we go back to our schools and work and jobs to be this known as a community of love? And, you know, loving was the most important thing to Jesus. It's the greatest commandment. But is it the most important thing to us to be loving our enemies in this way? And so let us go out in the community and love those enemies hardest to love, giving reconciliation without obligation, uh, nonsensical love tapped from above, and sharing his story. To God be the glory. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge Podcast. My name is Will Portillo, and if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, visit us online at blueridge.church or connect with us on Facebook at Blue Ridge Church of Christ. Visit us on YouTube and subscribe for weekly sermons, encouraging news, and short devotionals. Thanks for tuning in, and see you next time.